praise the Lord. Thank you so much, worship team. I tell you folks, we are so stinking blessed around here with people who sing like a bird, and they use that talent and ability that God has given them for His honor and His glory. And I'm so glad that this morning they've led us into the presence of God through praise and worship. The Bible says that the Lord inhabits the praises of His people, and we've experienced that already right here today. Take your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter number 3 is what I want to look at, just one verse this morning, but keep your Bibles handy because I'm going to be going to several different places, but our focal passage will be John chapter 3 and verse number 36. Listen to what the Bible says here, what this promises to each and every one of us. John 3, verse number 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. If you believe it, say amen. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. If you believe it, say amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you again, Lord, for the truth of your word. And we're asking this morning that you would have your way and your will. Do your work in this place. Lord, speak to me and speak through me. Fill me up, Lord, I pray, and pour me out. I can do nothing of myself. Lord, if anything effective is going to be done today, you've got to do it. So, Lord, we're asking, Holy Spirit, we're asking today, that you'd speak to hearts and change lives in Jesus' name. Amen. I heard a discussion just the other day um, on the, uh, the greatest political um, documents ever written by man. And, and so they were arguing whether or not it was the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution. There was really a group on each side debating the topic. And, uh, and, and folks, uh, and rightly so, I think that those two would certainly qualify as the two best political documents ever written. I mean, it was under the rule of those documents that we have experienced uh, the, the highest standard of living the world's ever known. You know? And so I would definitely say those two are the greatest. But I don't know how you say which one is better than the other because they, they really work hand in hand. If you don't have the one, you have no need for the other. Amen? And so both of them work hand in hand simultaneously. I don't know that one's any greater, but both of them are extremely important. Now I want to share with you um, a quote from the Declaration of Independence this morning that I know most of you have heard. Um, and it's, it goes like this. He says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Now I love that first part. I love that per- first part because really what he's saying is, This is not truth that you have to search for and find. It's self-evident. All you got to do is open your eyes and look around, and you're going to see these rights that I'm about to list for you. They're for every man because all men are certainly created equal. How many of you know these truths are not hiding? They're right out there in front of us for us to see if we are honestly, objectively looking. He said, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Watch this now. That all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these, now listen, are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Just last week, last Tuesday, as a matter of fact, the 24th, our Vice President Kamala Harris was speaking at a pro-abortion rally in Florida, and she quoted, or should I say grossly misquoted, what I just shared with you. Now listen to what she said. This is what got me. This is what really uh, got me going on this. She said this, America is a promise, a promise we made in the Declaration of Independence that we are each endowed with the right to liberty and the pursuit of happiness. 
Do you see where she left some parts out? And, and the, the sad thing is, she left the two most important parts out. When you leave these two parts out, you have no foundation for the, 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 uh, the very document that you're even referring to. You see, in the Declaration it said that it is our Creator who endowed us with these rights. Can you say amen? She, she very conveniently left that part out. Well, if we don't know who gave us these rights, then we could be fooled into thinking it's the government that gave us these rights. How do you know? God's not government. Government is not God. And it's not the government that gave us these rights. It's the government that's supposed to protect these rights for every individual. Are you see what I'm saying? So she conveniently left that out. She said, we are endowed. Well, who, endow who gave these rights to us? Who endowed or gave these rights to us? If you miss that, you miss the whole thing. But then she left out another very important part. She said, we are endowed uh, with um, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Well, folks, if you don't have life, why do you need liberty or the pursuit of happiness? There's no foundation in her message there. But I guess when you're speaking to the crowd she's speaking to, you would conveniently leave out the creator and life. See how dangerous that is? Now, this morning, I want you to know something. I, I'm thankful that we live under the rule in a constitutional republic. How many know that's what we are? We're not a democracy. Democracy is how we uh, actually, you know, do the, the governmental functions that we do, but we live under the rule of law. It's not um, just the, the, the majority rules. There's a set of laws called the Constitution that we are under as a democratic republic. Can you say amen? A constitutional republic. And I'm thankful that we have all that. But, but now, I want to go much deeper than just what's on the surface. I want you to know that we're never, ever going to realize these rights that I believe all of us certainly have just in the physical or through the political process. We're never going to do that. You're never truly going to experience life in its fullness, liberty in its fullness, or happiness in its fullness just by physical means or political activism. That's never going to happen. It's much deeper than that, much deeper than that. Let me tell you why we're never going to realize these rights in their fullness just in the physical, because we are more than just physical beings. So what I want to do today and what I want to do probably next week if we don't get finished, I want to take these next two Sundays to really look at how we achieve what we say we live under and really achieve it, not just go through the motions and not just get by, but what does it mean to really have life? What does it mean to really have liberty? What does it mean to really have happiness that is deep down in your soul? Well... Let's, took it, let's take a look at all three. First of all, let's look at life. I, I told you that we can never experience the fullness of this um, unless we experience more than just what is physical. And, and the reason I say that, look back at the verse that I just read you, John 3, 36. When John is writing these words and he says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. How many of you know he's writing to people who are breathing? 
they have physical existence. They're breathing, they're talking, they're walking around. But he says, if you don't believe on the Son, you really don't have life. Do you see that? So according to what John is saying here, it's possible for us to be breathing and talking and going through the motions of life without really knowing what life is all about. Without knowing life in its fullness. Amen? <laughs> See, really what I'm afraid of, we've got a lot of people who are existing, but they're not really living. Jesus said it like this when he looked out over Jerusalem. He looked out over the people and the Bible says he had compassion on them and he began to weep and he, he was weeping because the, he said these people are like sheep without a shepherd. They're lost. They're wandering here and there and everywhere just trying to get by but they truly have no direction. They truly have no purpose. Amen? And the same is true today. We've got a lot of people who are living, physically speaking, they're existing, but they've never experienced eternal life, which is abundant life. Can you say amen to that? And how, you say, brother, how do you know that? Well, I know it because I used to be one of them. I know it because that's where I used to be. Yeah, I was existing, I was getting by, but I really never experienced what it meant to truly be born again, <laughs> to have new life until I trusted in Jesus. So I know this to be true from my own experience. Now, let's go back and, and, and really start from the beginning, literally, and see if we can't build this truth in our mind and in our heart. How many of you know, in Genesis chapter 1, in verse number 26, brother, if you will, please put this on the screen for me. Uh, the Bible says it like this, and God said, let us. Everybody say us. Now, we know if you're saying us, that means two or more. Can you say amen? So what does God mean when he says let us? Well, we know the Bible teaches that God is triune in nature. And that means that we have one God who has revealed himself to us in three distinct personalities. The us that is being spoken of here is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now listen to me, folks. I, I know that that is very difficult to wrap your mind around. I'm with you. I got you. I understand uh, your, your trouble with that completely. One of my absolute favorite preachers of all time, a man called the Prince of Preachers, was a man by the name of Dr. Charles Spurgeon. If you would like to get a good devotional, get mornings and evenings with Dr. Charles Spurgeon. I promise you, you will not regret it. If you're looking for a good book to read, read The Power of the Holy Spirit, by Dr. Charles Spurgeon. It's life-changing. But Dr. Charles Spurgeon, he said a lot of good things, but this I certainly agree with when he was speaking about the, the Trinity. He said to try and explain the Trinity, you'll lose your mind. Now why did he say that? Because we have finite minds that will never be able to explain something that is infinite. We, we have minds that will only go so far and God is never-ending. He's eternal. Amen. So we're never going to explain the Trinity. He said to explain the Trinity, you'll lose your mind. But to explain it away, you'll lose your soul. Now what did he mean by that? Well, to explain away who God is means you stand in rejection of who he is. So the truth of the Trinity has to be taken on faith. Can you say amen to that? You've got to trust just exactly what God says. Now, 
I've, I've come to realize that when I trusted by faith in what God said, the truth of the Trinity became real in my life. Amen. I began seeing how God the Holy Spirit works. I began, I, let, let me just give you an inst, a, a for instance for that. Just this morning, Brother Roy spoke from Genesis chapter number 28. And, and when, he, when he got to Genesis 28, I was sitting over here, man, I wanted to shout. I'm telling you, it was amazing how God does things. God never ceases to amaze me. I, I preached to you last week, if you remember, on how Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord. And, and I told you uh, about how he had, uh, about Jacob's ladder, Genesis 28, and how he trusted in the Lord there. And my plan was to go back and, and, and preach on that. This Sunday, that was what I wanted to do. That's what I'd planned to do. That's what I'd studied for. Matter of fact, I studied Wednesday. I studied uh, for a long time then, Thursday, preparing that message, getting it ready. And, and then Friday morning, the Lord changed everything, gave me a completely different thought, what I'm giving you this morning. And I, and I, had to, I was questioning the Lord. Lord, I've studied all this. I thought this is what you've given me. I know you spoke to my heart on it. And, but I, I knew God was wanting this message. I knew he was wanting something different. And then I get to church, and Brother Roy speaks on exactly what I'd been preparing for. Now, how does that work? Because God the Holy Spirit is real and operates in the lives of his, of, his, of his people in each and every believer. See, the same Holy Spirit that dwells in me dwells in that brother. And God knew what we needed when we needed it. And regardless of my plans, God still does his work. See, what I'm saying is, when you place faith in God, you begin seeing the evidence then of the work of God the Holy Spirit, of the work of God the Son, of the work of God the Father. So you cannot explain the Trinity, but you better not explain it away. God is triune in nature, and we see the handiwork of God on all of creation. I'm going to say that again because you must have missed it. We see the handiwork of God on all of creation. We sang that song just a minute ago, how, we, uh, how beautiful He really is. When we look on the, at the moonlit night, we see the beauty of God. When we look uh, at His creation that unfolds before us, we see just how beautiful, just how powerful, just how mighty, just how majestic God is because He did that just with His spoken voice. It's amazing. God has created all things and it has his fingerprints all over it. Let me just give you some, some um, give me a word, some uh, examples, thank you. Just left me. Let me give you some examples. How many of you know God created time? Do you know that time is triune in nature? Either by what do you mean? Well, we've got a, in time, you've got a past, you got a present, and you got a future. Regardless of what the materialist may think, God created matter. Matter can't come from matter. We know that is scientifically proven. So how did matter get here? There had to be a beginning. There had to be an unmoved mover. There had to be an uncaused cause. There had to be something that was transcendent, amen, outside of matter and space that created matter, space, and time. Time is triune in nature, but matter is triune in nature. How do we measure matter? It's got a length, breadth, and width. 
God created time. God created matter. Listen, God created man, and the Bible says he created man is his image. Watch this. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over all the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So what's the Bible saying? We are created in the image of God. Let me tell you something. Regardless of what Kamala Harris or anybody who thinks like her thinks, we do have a creator. We are created. And we are created for a purpose. You are not a meat machine. You have been created by God the Father, your creator, for purpose. Are you getting a hold of me? Now listen to me, folks. You need to know that God created us in his image, and that means he created us triune in nature as well. What does that mean for me and you? Well, we've got a body, we've got a soul, and we've got a spirit, don't we? Now, it's with my body I relate to other physical beings in a physical way. I mean, I can shake my wife's hand and relate to her physically. Why? Because I've got a body and she's got a body. Does that make sense to you? It's with my soul that I relate to other individuals, other human beings on a psychological or emotional basis. I mean, we we can talk about things, deep um, psychological things, uh, intellectual things, because why? We've got a soul and we, we can relate to one another. And it's then with the spirit that we relate to God. Body, soul, and spirit create a triune in nature in the image of God himself. If you got it, say, I got it. All right? Now, I want you to think about something, though. Let's go back to the book of Genesis. God told Adam something in the book of Genesis. Absolutely amazing. Genesis 2 and verse number 17. God put the man in the garden there, and when he had Adam in the garden, he also created for him uh, the woman Eve, and they were with one another there in a perfect place. Can you say amen? Uh, protected and provided for by God himself. And God said, look, I'm going to give you just one rule that you cannot break. All of this is yours, Adam. Go go in and, and, and listen, enjoy the blessing that I've given you because I love you, son. All of this you can have. Be fruitful and multiply. Live your life and enjoy the life that I have given you. Everybody say life. Enjoy the life I've given you. I've given you a physical body where you relate to one another. I've given you a soul where you relate uh, psychologically and emotionally with one another. And I've also gave you a spirit. And it's with your spirit you've been made alive to me. And now I can talk to you, Adam. You can talk to me, Adam. I can commune with you, Adam. And you can commune with me, Adam. Because of that relationship through the spirit, everybody say amen. Because of that relationship through the Spirit, they had communion and fellowship with one another there in the garden. If you don't believe me, read all of Genesis 2. But look what he says. One rule. You cannot touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Watch what he says. For when you do, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest it, thou shalt surely die. Everybody see it? So what's God saying? He's saying, once you do what I tell you, you're not supposed to do, and we call that sin. The Bible says, for a man to know what is right and to do it not, that's sin. 
That's the best definition for sin in all the Word of God. Amen? So Adam knew what was right. He knew what God said, but we know, according to Genesis 3, that he didn't do what God said. He did right the opposite of what God told him. And because of that, Adam sinned. But God said, look, the day you do it, everybody say the day. The day you eat of it, what's going to happen? Well, there's a problem with that if we're only thinking in the physical. Let me tell you why. Adam lived about 960 years after this point. That day he didn't die physically, but let me tell you this. That day he died spiritually. Why? Because of sin. Sin had then separated Adam from God. Are you getting me? Now you say, brother, that's all well and good about Adam. What's that mean for me and you? I'm glad you asked. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're studying this in Wednesday nights if you'd like to come be a part of it. 1 Corinthians 15 in verse number 22. Now watch. For as in Adam, what's it say? All die. In Adam, all die. That means everybody who's born with the nature of Adam is born spiritually dead. Are you getting me? Now that creates a great problem for us. For Jesus told the woman at the well, do you remember what Jesus told the woman at the well? That those who worship God must worship Him how? In spirit and in truth, for God is a spirit. Really what Jesus is saying to that woman and to us, you cannot have relationship with God except by the spirit. You cannot have fellowship with God except by the Spirit. You cannot have, listen to me now, communion with God except by the Spirit. But the problem is, in Adam, we're all born spiritually dead. But I've got some good news. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Praise the mighty name of Jesus. If we are left in Adam, we are eternally condemned in our sin. This is the good news. What Adam got wrong in the garden, Jesus made right at the cross. Adam sinned, and that sin caused death to be upon all men. It caused spiritual deadness and later on physical deadness. Sin causes death. I don't care how you cut it. Sin causes death. And so Adam created for us a great problem. But it was only by the finished work of the Lord Jesus that he took care of our sin problem. He went to the cross and took the punishment for your sin and for my sin. And he paid my debt and he paid your debt. And he said, now if you'll trust in me by faith, you can go free. And you can be made alive to the Spirit. That's what happens at the moment of salvation. Are you hearing me? Folks, <laughs> oh, I'm telling you something. A lot of amazing, fantastic things happen when you get saved. The Bible says your sins are forgiven. They're put as far as the east is from the west. If you believe it, say amen today. 
God forgives your sin. But let me tell you what else happens. The Bible says your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. I remember when Jesus sent out the 70 and they came back all excited and they said, Lord, you ain't going to believe it. We out there preaching the gospel of the kingdom and even the demons are subject to our voice when we speak your name. Jesus said, don't you be so excited that the demons know your name. You be excited that your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. When I got saved, my name was written down in heaven. And folks, that sign sealed and delivered. And we're going to see that next week. But not only was my sins forgiven and my name written down in heaven, let me give you something else that happened. Brother Roy talked about it this morning. The Holy Spirit of God indwelled me. And if you are a believer this morning, you've placed your trust in Jesus. Listen, at the moment of your conversion, and you know when that was. I'm going to tell you something. You know when you've passed from death to life. You know when you are born again. I can promise you, physically speaking, a baby knows when they're born into this world. I've seen it happen three times. And all three times, as soon as they came out of where they were at, they screamed their heads off. They knew there was a change. Amen? The same is true in the spiritual. You know when you passed from death to life. And if you don't know, then I would seek the Lord with all your heart. And I'd say, Lord, you've got to show me. If I'm not saved, if I'm not born again, show me so I can be saved and I can be born again. Lord, I want you. Just tell him that. Get real with him and he'll get real with you. But you know whether or not you've been brought from death to life. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit of God indwells you. Praise the Lord. Now you are made alive to the Spirit. The Apostle Paul calls it the inner man. (laughs) He also talks about now we have this hope. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus, who is one with the Spirit, lives in me in the person of the Holy Spirit. Are you getting it? That's why Jesus in John 17, when he's praying his high priestly prayer, he says, Lord, he's praying to the Father, and he says, Father, I am in you. You are in me. And then then he says that we are in him. I am in Christ. Christ is in me. It's amazing. All of that happens as a work of the Spirit. We looked in 1 Corinthians when we were at chapter 12. And 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says that we are all baptized by one Spirit into what? One body, the body of Christ. It is through the work of the Spirit we are put in the body and it is by the filling of the Spirit He enables us to be and do what He wants us to be and do. 
We become alive to the Spirit. Let me give you a good verse for it. Ephesians chapter 2. And verse number 1. And you hath he quickened. <laughs> Don't you love that word? Let me tell you what it, when I tell you what it means, you're going to love it. And you hath he made alive. That's what quickened means. So let's read it like that. And you hath he made alive who were dead. How were you dead? Were you dead physically? How were you dead? Spiritually. You were dead in what? Why were you dead in trespasses and sins? Because sin is what separates us from God. That's what causes spiritual deadness. But when you trusted in the finished work of Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, guess what happened? Since your sin was taken away, your death was taken away. And now you are made alive, quickened by the Spirit. Wow. Life will never truly be realized by political activism or document. Now, I'm thankful for it. Don't get me wrong. It's good. It's a good document. The best that man's ever penned. You say, Brother, what about the Bible? Well, you've got to remember, though, the Bible was inspired by God. Now, men wrote it down, but God wrote it through the man. That's God's book. I'm talking about, I do think those are the two greatest documents ever penned by man, politically speaking, but they're never going to give you life in its fullness. Amen? <laughs> see, see it, takes, it takes Jesus for that. He's the one who's paid the price for my sin and for yours, and now we can be made alive in him. Uh, Brother Ross, where you at, brother? Thank you. I, I didn't get my pastor's corner to you, but that's all right. The Lord knew what we needed. John 14, 6 says what? The what? The what? The what? The life. The life. Jesus is the life. Salvation is not just in a plan. It's in the man. It's in Jesus. It's him. He's what makes the difference. He's the one who quickens us. And when he does, you begin to experience life like he planned it. You'll never experience life until you know the creator of life. Well, let me give you three things real quick that you will experience after having placed faith in Christ and been made spiritual alive. First of all, you'll get a new desire. Everybody say desire. Romans chapter number 7. Verse number 18. The Apostle Paul writing here, he says something. He says, For I know that in me that is in my flesh, that is just in this old sinful nature, this old fleshly nature, dwells no good thing. But watch what he says. For to will is present with me. When he's talking about will, he's talking about the desire he has. He says, There's a desire in me, present within me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Let me tell you what he's saying. He's talking about the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. And every one of us struggle with that. Because we're still in this flesh and we still have a sinful nature that came from Adam, it is always in a constant tug of war with the new spirit nature that comes in Christ. 
always. And Paul says, I found that there's nothing good in that old sinful nature. I don't want to go back to doing the things I, I used to do. I don't want to get bogged down by the sin I used to be bogged down by. I, I don't want to, uh, listen, not live up to what God has saved me to live up to. I, I don't want that. But I, I can't figure out in my flesh how to overcome it. Because he says now there's a desire within me for what? To do God's will. Let me just give you some practical ways that, that, that look, what that looks like. You know what, folks? I'm going to be in church Wednesday night whether I'm preaching or not. You say, brothers, well, sure, you'll be in church. I mean, we pay you to come on Wednesday nights. Well, if you think that, you're thinking wrong. And let me just, let me just say this, too. Do you know you don't pay me? Do you know you give your money to God and God pays me? That's really how that operates. But I'm just saying, if you, if you don't pay me, if you don't write the check, I'm still going to be here Wednesday night. And if you'll let me preach, I'm going to preach. But even if I don't get to, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to be in church. Why? Because I'm not here to fulfill an obligation. I'm not here to work a job. I am here to experience Him. That's why I'm here. Why? Because I desire Him. See, I've just about quit begging people to come to church. I'm going to be honest. Now, I want you to know I love you. And if you're sick, I'm going to come see you. And, and listen, if you're sick, I'm going to call you and I'm going to text you and I'm going to say, man, we missed you. I'm going to do all that, but I'm not going to beg you. Because if I have to beg you to come to church, then you're not coming for the Lord. You're coming for me. And you'll probably just come because you're afraid that brother might say something like I'm saying right now on Sunday morning. And I'm not doing that. There ought to be a desire within you for the things of God. And if you don't have a desire, either one of two things are wrong. Either as a Christian, you are severely backslidden and in unconfessed sin that is hindering your walk with Christ, or you've never been born again. Now, I don't know where that is with you. That's between you and the Lord. But I'm telling you, for a child of God living in the Lord, with the Lord, according to His purpose, you will desire godly things. People don't have to beg you to come to church. They don't have to beg you to pray. They don't have to beg you to serve. There's a new desire now. I'm going to tell you something. Years ago, pre-Jesus, I'd have never been in church on a day like today. Let me tell you why. Today is the AFC-NFC championship for the NFL. Bless God. When I get home today, I'm going to lay on the couch all day and watch football and be happy and enjoy life. You know what? You ought to enjoy life. Football's not a God to me. I don't worship it. It's a great sport and a terrible God, but I, it is a great sport. And I'm going to enjoy myself this evening. But used to, I would have started early on a Sunday morning enjoying and partaking in things that really wasn't going to help me enjoy the game. Are you understand what I'm saying to you? Are you getting me? And that would be my whole focus. I ain't coming to, what would I come to church for? The AFC, NFC championship game's on. You know why I come to church? Oh, listen. Jesus is much better than football. And now I desire him instead of the things of the world. How did that happen? 
It was amazing. When I got saved, all that changed. Before I got saved, man, the Word of God was boring to me. I didn't want to read it. I didn't want to study it. I didn't want to come to Sunday school. I didn't want to do any of that stuff. I had, I had more important things to do in my mind then. But after I got saved, I become hungry for the Word of God. It's like I couldn't get enough of it. Because I knew it was truth, and I knew it was speaking to me exactly what I needed. It was amazing. Before I got saved, all I listened to was Led Zeppelin. Loved it. I'm telling you, Credence Clearwater Revival, Led Zeppelin, and Old Bon Jovi were my three go-tos. I still backslide a little bit. For... <laughs> I'm just saying that's all I cared about. But you know now, man, I desire to get in the car and turn that worship music on because it feeds my soul. I've told you this story before. That song we sang on the go, brother. I love it. Feels like I'm born again. I was riding down the road in a truck one day with my partner. And it's amazing how God the Holy Spirit just filled that. It just filled that truck. I was just having church over. Just me and the Lord. And I was singing that song. And I guess I was singing a little bit louder than what I thought I was singing. I mean, I was worshiping in that truck. And he's over driving. I got finished singing the song. He said, brother, let me ask you something. He said, who sings that song? I said, man, that's Third Day. That's Mac Powell. That's the best contemporary Christian group it's ever been. I love some Third Day. He said, well, from now on, let Mac Powell sing that song. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me tell you why I like that song. It speaks to my soul, brothers and sisters. I know what it's like now to be born again. And I love that. I'm just saying my desire has changed. Now, when your desire changed with that new nature brought to you by the Holy Spirit, that now spirit nature, guess what else happens? Your direction changes. It's no longer about what you want, but what He wants. You become more like Christ. Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? I love Wednesday night when the sister was talking about what they named their, their, their children's home. Do you remember what she said? Gethsemane in Spanish. We say Gethsemane. She said Gethsemane. But that's what they named it. Why? Because she said she knew if they could ever get to the points where they said, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. That's what she wanted. That was powerful, man. That spoke to me. See, when you get a new, um, give it, what? new nature, new desire, you get a new direction. Now it's no longer about what I want, what he wants. Amen. Jesus said, not thy will be done. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. You get a new direction. Let me give you the last one. You get a new destiny. Romans eight twenty nine. Put it on the screen for me, brother. Watch this. Romans chapter 8, verse number 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Do you know before the foundation of the world, God knew who would accept him and who would reject him? He foreknew that. Now, before we get too far in the weeds with the Calvinist doctrine, let me just say this. I can prove to you in the Word of God that foreknowledge does not necessitate predestination. Okay? Foreknowledge does not necessitate predestination. However, God knew who would accept, who would reject. And to those whom he knew would accept him, he predestined them to what? 
be conformed. See, I believe we are predestined in Christ to be conformed into His image. You say, Brother is there an elect? Absolutely, the whosoever wills are the elect. That's the elect. And when you trust in Christ by faith, listen to me now, then it becomes your destiny to become just like Him. And that process begins at the moment of salvation, continues from then on. Until one day, we will be just like Him in glory. Amen? Destiny. I shudder to think at where I would have been and what I would have been without Jesus. I'll promise you this. If I would have continued on the path I was going without God radically changing my life, I know with everything in me I wouldn't have been a pastor at Mount Zion Baptist Church. I'd have probably been dead in a gutter somewhere. Like a lot of the friends I was hanging with at the time, that's where they found themselves. Here a while back, I counted up just some of the people that I was running with when the Lord got a hold of me. Do you know there's been nine of them? Nine. Either my age, maybe a little older or younger, that since about 23 years ago, nine of them have died in some drug-related thing, whether it's overdose, other ways. Same people I was with on a daily basis. When I think about that, I have to say thank you, Jesus. Except by the grace of God, there go I. There go I. I'm so thankful he's changed my destiny. Life. You can have it. Fullness of life. You can have it. Eternal life. You can have it. Now what is abundant life? The Lord shared something with me I want to share with you. Eternal life or excuse me, abundant life is eternal life realized right now. You get to experience a little bit of heaven here on earth just because of who he is and what he's done. Everybody stand together. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But he said, I have come that they might have life and life more abundant, and you can have it today. He who believes on the Son has eternal life, but he who believes not on Jesus as the Son of God hath not life. You can accept him today, or you can reject him today. The choice is yours, but choose wisely. If you need the Lord in any way, you come this morning. Maybe some of you are here today who've already been saved and you know it and praise God for that, but you're just not living in a way that you know God's pleased. Maybe there's some unconfessed sin in your life that you need to get out. Well, that happens to us all. Like Paul said, we struggle with this flesh daily. And as we walk in a dark world, sometimes we get that dirty world on us. Amen? But I'm thankful that the same grace who saves us keeps us. And God is willing to forgive you of your sin if you'll confess it to him. 
Don't forfeit your peace and joy that was purchased at the cross because you choose to keep your sin. Like I've told you before, don't spend one more night with the frogs. <laughs> Go ahead and get rid of them. Go ahead and get rid of them. Today's the day. Now's the time. This is your invitation. Brother, play for us.